Morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Again, that's Jonah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And it reads, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious, God, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. I am sure that if I were to do a survey of the church this morning and ask the simple question, what is the most well-known parable that our Lord Jesus ever told? I'm quite confident that most of you in here would undoubtedly point to the prodigal son. There are very few people in the church or outside the church that when you mention the term prodigal son, they are not familiar with that term and the parable and the story that is given to us in Luke chapter 15. Indeed, our Lord gives a powerful illustration, powerful illustration of repentance and, and redemption. Is a story of a father's love and a wayward child. And we all are familiar with it to some degree or another, I am sure. And yet, beloved, it is also a sad story. It's a sad story of resentment. The resentment that a son would have for his father. The resentment that a brother would have against his own brother. Most of us, again, are familiar with this parable, no doubt. But I would submit to you this morning that before Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, those elements were illustrated for us in the Old Testament in the life of Jonah. For indeed, before the father and his two sons in Luke 15, there was God... Jonah, and the Ninevites. We see in the prophecy of Jonah, what we see indeed is a loving father. We see a repentant son. And then we see a resentful older brother. And indeed, our text this morning in chapter 4, verses 1 through four actually focuses our attention this morning upon that resentful brother. Focuses our attention on Jonah's resentment, but then also upon God's restraint. The text of chapter four, if you look in your Bibles, opens with these words. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
And naturally, the question there that we should ask ourselves, and I ask you this morning, is what displeased Jonah? And the it, therefore, if we look at the context, the it points us back to chapter 3. But it displeased Jonah. What is the it? The it is the repentance of Nineveh and the relenting of God. The repentance of Nineveh and the relenting of God displeased Jonah and made him exceedingly angry. God had used Jonah to to bring about a great revival among the people of Nineveh. We saw that in in chapter chapter 3. But rather than rejoicing with what God did, the Bible here says that Jonah was vexed. Greatly vexed in his soul. What the people of Nineveh did displeased the prophet. It displeased him. What God did in response to the repentance of Nineveh displeased, exceedingly displeased Jonah even more than did the Ninevites' repentance. In fact, the text actually says that he considered this to be a great evil. My beloved, Nineveh was an evil city. Make no mistake about it. It was the central city, the main city in the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were evil people. I mean, they were terrorists. Assyria was a terrorist nation, and it terrorized all of its neighbors. And Jonah and all of Israel wanted the Assyrians destroyed. And if God would move in destruction against the Assyrians, against the Ninevites, no one would have lost any sleep. Because no one cries when the wicked get their just desserts, do we? No, 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 we don't. Who in here cried when Saddam Hussein was executed? Who in here lost any sleep when they finally cornered Osama bin Laden? Dare I say that nobody cried when the wicked witch of the east or the white witch of Narnia finally came to their demise. Because the wicked should be destroyed, right? But beloved, sometimes they're not. Instead of destroying the wicked, sometime God redeems them. He redeems them. And what should be then the response of God's people when God is pleased to redeem the wicked? Well, Jonah's response was resentment. He resented it. Notice the resentment of Jonah. We should define resentment as this, beloved. Resentment is the feeling of anger or frustration at a real or perceived wrong or grievance. 
Jonah's anger and Jonah's frustration at what God did for the Ninevites gave way to his expression of resentment as he spoke to God. He prayed. He prayed to God. And it was not a prayer of submission, but rather it was a prayer in which he was seeking to justify himself, seeking to vindicate himself, and seeking to vilify God. He prayed. He prayed, and in his prayer, we see that he resented Nineveh's repentance. It displeased him. He was not happy about it. He was not happy with the Ninevites. He was not happy with God. His hope was that they would not turn from their sin. Like in Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 20 and following, Jonah wanted his enemies destroyed, not redeemed. Like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, Jonah didn't want his younger brothers to return. Let them stay lost. And like the older brother, Jonah resented when they returned to God. He resented their return. He resented the repentance of Nineveh. But he not only resented the repentance of Nineveh, he resented his calling, didn't he? He resented his calling. Notice what he says. This is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. You understand, God, this is the reason why I fled from the call that you had on my life. He knew that God might save the people of Nineveh, and Jonah wanted no part of it. He knew that this might happen. And apparently it would seem that he had made this objection known to God previously because he says, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Did I not say that this would happen? Did I not say that you would forgive these wicked people? Did I not say that you would restrain your hand from cutting them off the face of the earth? Did I not say you would do that? There's evidence that God's agenda was not Jonah's agenda. And since God's agenda was not Jonah's agenda, Jonah wanted no part of God's agenda. God's agenda was revival. Jonah didn't want it. God's agenda was repentance, and Jonah didn't want it. God's agenda was rejoicing, and Jonah didn't want it. Contrary to what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, Jonah wanted no part in the rejoicing of the Ninevites. He wanted no part in the revival. He wanted no portion in God's plan. And again, like the older brother and the prodigal son, at this point, Jonah could only think of himself. 
He resented Nineveh's repentance. He resented his own calling by God. And then he also resented God's grace, didn't he? He resented God's grace for he says there, for I knew you are a gracious God. Jonah knew what God would do if he preached and the people of Nineveh repented. He knew what God would do. And God resented, I mean, and Jonah resented God. But you know what he resented God for? He resented God for being God. Because God's grace to the Ninevites would mean, beloved, that the Ninevites were just like the Israelites. You see what's happening here? There is this nationalism. There is this racism in the heart of Jonah. And this morning, this actually illustrates for us the insanity of racism. Do you know that during the days of slavery, the early days of slavery in the United States, many slave owners did not want preachers and evangelists coming around their plantation and preaching the gospel of grace to their slaves. For many of these so-called Christian slave owners believed that if their slaves believed on the gospel, got saved, and were baptized, they could no longer hold them in bondage as slaves. They would now be brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, they would rather keep the gospel from them and keep them enslaved rather than to rejoice with them in the gospel of the freedom of God's grace that came to their life. These so-called Christian slave owners didn't want to rejoice with those who would rejoice in the gospel of grace. They didn't want to rejoice in the grace of Christ with their black brothers and sisters. It's the insanity of it. That's the insanity of racism. Jonah's racism and nationalism causes him to be numb to this insanity, this insanity of racism. But this is what happens to many of us today, beloved. We become numb to the insanity of it all. Listen, beloved. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 that we are all made from one blood. Jonah, the Ninevites, black, white, you, me, all of us, all of us are created from one blood. We are all created, the Bible says, from the dust. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 20, all are from dust and all to the dust return. Therefore, you need to understand that your lump of dust is not better than my lump of dust. 
And my lump of dust is not better than your lump of dust. And in fact, if God is pleased to give grace and to save any lump of dust, all other lump of dust ought to rejoice. Jonah thought Israel dust was better than Nineveh dust. And yet notice how God responds to the insanity of Jonah. Notice how God responds to Jonah's Resentment, God is restrained. It's amazing, beloved. This is absolutely amazing. But you notice how God responds to, to Jonah. Jonah is like Paul said he was in First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. Jonah is insolent. He is, he is disrespectful. He is profane in the face of God and God yet restrains himself. Why? Why? Because God is God. And now God is going to treat Jonah once again like he treated the Ninevites. And yet Jonah doesn't even realize it. You know, Jonah knows who God is. He really does. He knows who God is because he knows God as God has revealed himself. And this is very instructive for us as Jonah begins to reflect on who God is and even to rehearse to God who God is. He knows who God is because he knows how God has revealed himself and desires himself to be known. That is the only way to know God. The only way to know God is to know God as God has revealed himself. God is not the God of your imagination. You can't know God simply because of uh, of how you want to know God. You have to know God as God has revealed himself in his word, in his character. That's the only way to truly know God. Any other way is nothing more than the fancies of your own imagination. So Jonah knows him. And how do you know Jonah knows him? Because Jonah quotes arguably the most common description of God found in all the Bible. You want to know what the Bible says God is? You see it in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. You see it in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 8. You see it in Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse chapter 9 and verse 17. You see it in Psalms chapter Psalm 86 verse 15 and Psalm 103 and verse 8 and Psalm 145 and verse 8. You see it in Joel chapter 2 and verse 13 and you see it here. Jonah says, God, I know who you are. You are are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. That's who the Bible says God is. That is how God has revealed himself. That is the self 
revelation in the Bible concerning God. He is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. He is a patient God, abounding in steadfast love. He is a gracious God. It's what Jonah, this is what Jonah rehearsed for himself. He is a gracious God. For God to be gracious, beloved, that simply means that God is good. That God is good. God desires good for his creation, especially his people. In Psalm 119 and verse 68, the Bible says that God is good and he does good. Good is his overall disposition. Understand, God is never not good. This is why we say God is good all the time and all the time. God is good because he is. It's not the the wording of the great promise given to us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that God delights to work all things out for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Why? Because he is good. And all that he does is good, and he desires goodness for his people. Never mind what you think. Never mind what your circumstances say. Never mind what other people say. Know the testimony of Scripture and the self-revelation of God is that God is good. You really know this. When you come to know Jesus, because when you come to know Jesus, then you know just how good God has been. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, he says, he, speaking of God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What? All things, all good things. Graciously, freely. This is the God that's revealed himself in the scriptures. This is the God that you must know if you're going to know the God of the Bible. God is good. Grace is good. Jesus is good. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 14 that Jesus was full of grace. Because he's good. He's a gracious God. He's not just a gracious God. The Bible says here he's a merciful God. He is a merciful God. This idea that God is a merciful God means that God delights to look beyond our faults and supply our needs. He is a merciful God. It's not that he doesn't see our faults, beloved. It's not that he doesn't see our failures, beloved. He does. But unlike most people that we know, he is willing to look beyond our faults. He looks beyond our failures and he sees our needs, our needs for forgiveness, our need for mercy, our need for him. That's mercy, beloved. But you know what? That's mama. That's mama. I have a 
I have an older brother, the brother just over me, in fact. And um, for most of his adult life, he has been in and out of trouble. In and out of crime, in and out of jail and prison. He has broken the trust of practically all of his brothers and sisters. He has violated them and the family in so many ways. And while others have resolved to not have anything or not much to do with him, it just amazes me how my mother takes him back again and again. It amazes me how my mother, no matter the circumstances or what he has done, she always answers the phone. She always has an open door. While others can't see nothing but the failure and the faults, yours included, (laughs) his mama looks beyond his faults. His mama looks beyond his failures and she sees his need. His need for love. His need for acceptance. His need of her. That's mercy. That's God. He looks beyond your faults. And he sees your need. This is what Psalm 46 says in verse 1. It says it several, several times. If you need a safe place, the Bible says in Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is a refuge. If you need strength, it says in verse 1, he is your strength. If you need help, it says in verse 1 that he is a very present help in time of trouble. That's what he does. He looks beyond the faults and he sees the need. He looks beyond your distresses and he supplies what you need. And that is mercy. That is mercy. He is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. He is a patient God. That's what Jonah is coming to understand. He's a patient God. This idea that God is slow to anger means that God is self-controlled. He is patient. He is long-suffering. You know what the Bible says in in, in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3? It says that God is slow to anger and he is great in power. Now think about that. He is great in power and yet he is patient. Now what that means, since God is great in power, he doesn't have to be patient. Because most of the time we are patient because we don't have any choice. You can't do anything about it. So you have no choice but to be patient. Not God. Anything is any way that he doesn't desire for it to be that way. He can change it at any moment. He doesn't have to wait. 
He has great power. And yet, he is slow to anger. That's amazing truth, beloved. He has anger. He has anger. He does get angry. However, unlike you and me, his anger never gets the best of him. Hello. His anger never gets the best of him. He never acts in a way that he later regrets or does anything or says anything for which he has to later apologize. Even in his anger, he is patient. And this is the God who sees us and knows us every day. Here's an amazing scripture for you, beloved. Psalm 78, verse 38. Speaking of how God dealt with the nation of Israel in their waywardness and in their disobedience. The Bible says, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. Time after time. I don't know about you, but that's my life. Every day, every day. Time after time, God God is slow and patient with me. Time after time. As angry as I get and impatient I get with myself, time after time, God is patient. Time after time after time after time. He restrains his anger. You see that? Jonah knew who God was. He knew who God was. And therefore, all he did, really, beloved, was charge God with being God. He knew the character of God. And yet, for this moment, he despised God for being God. He despised him. He hated God's compassion. He hated God's kindness. He hated God's patience. He hated God's mercy. Now, before you get too quick to condemn Jonah, do you know that those same sentiments are in you and in me? How often do we do the same thing? God Jonah forgets that God was gracious to him. Jonah forgot that God was kind to him. Jonah forgot that God was merciful and patient with him. We we love God for being patient with us, but we are not always enthused when he's patient with my wife or patient with uh, with your husband or patient with your children. You're not so enthused when he's patient with a coworker or patient with a supervisor or a neighbor. We love it, we love it, we love it for God to be angry at those who sin against us. But we're not always so enthused, are we? 
with his anger against our own sin. And in those moments, we despise God for being God. We despise him because he's taken too long to change other people. He's taking too long to make them what I want them to be. And we despise him for not judging them, for not bringing the full wrath, his full wrath upon those who have slighted us, for those who have grieved us. We resent him for giving them space to repent. So like Jonah, many of us, we go angry. We go angry and we go resentful because God doesn't do what what we want him to do when we want him to do it. You do know, beloved, that this is sin. Jonah was in sin. He was, he was in sin. And you do understand that the only cure for sin is to reflect again upon the nature of God. When you do that, when you understand again the goodness and the grace of God, the patience and the kindness of God, the love and the mercy of God, when you reflect upon them in the midst of your resentment and frustration and anger, you are faced with the question that Jonah was faced with for God. Have you any reason really to be angry? Well, let me put it in this way. Have you any reason to complain? Have you? Really? Have you any reason to complain this morning, church? I want you again to see the grace of God despite the depth of your sin this, this morning. See the goodness of God in your life and all the blessings that he delights to graciously bestow upon you. Though you are undeserved of any of them and ask yourself the question, do you really have a reason to complain? Do you? Consider, consider this morning the community of the saints that God has once again granted you the privilege to be in the midst of his people, to sing the songs of Zion, to hear his word read, to pray the prayers of the faithful, to be in the midst of the people where God is pleased to dwell despite your waywardness, despite your disobedience, and ask yourself the question, Do you really have a reason to complain? Consider, consider, beloved, your own ignorance and how you run waywardly from God and delight to live contrary to his word on so many occasions. And yet God is delighted this morning to take his word and place it in your hands and allow you to open it and say, and here thus says the Lord. And ask yourself the question, 
do you really have reason to complain? See again this morning, Jesus upon the cross, beloved, despised and rejected, wounded and bruised, slain there on the cross, the sinless son of God, taking the wrath that you deserve, bearing your sins so that you don't have to take the wrath of your sin yourself and ask yourself the question, do you really have a reason to complain? No, no, no. I won't complain. No, I won't complain. I see the depths of the Father's love and I won't complain. I hear and see his mercy come down from above and I won't complain. When all my sin he has owned, the great extent to which he's gone, no greater love has anyone known. No, I won't complain. From the wounds in his nail-scarred hands, I won't complain. And on his head, a thorn-filled band, I won't complain. With his body broken and blood shed, not a displeasing word he said. And all for me, he bowed his head. No, I won't complain. For I know he's risen from the grave. Therefore, I won't complain. I know he has the power to save. And therefore, I won't complain. His Holy Spirit with me abide the risen Christ at the Father's side. And in him I have eternal life. No. 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 Jonah, you have. No reason to complain. And I don't, beloved. And neither do you. Let's pray.